Welcome to Game Time Adjustments. I'm your co-host, James Harrelson. We're here to help you win all throughout life. Now, this is the start of a new year, a new beginning, and if we're honest, for many people, a new hope that is better than the last. If the previous year taught us anything, it is that hard times do come, and it's in our response to those difficult times that dictate our destiny. For some, words like generational and systematic are crutches and reasons why people can't. However, for others, and for people like our guest Duncan Campbell, he didn't allow his starting point to dictate his life trajectory, but rather he used his disappointments to be a catalyst to purposely and positively affect change, imprinting a lasting and loving legacy on thousands of families worldwide. Listen, folks, his story is worth the listen. In fact, his story is actually a TED Talk. Listen how Duncan went from an at-risk life of poverty to being a philanthropist and serial entrepreneur to even catching the attention of Michael Jordan. Listen in now as our host Bill Pugh talks with social entrepreneur Duncan Campbell in this episode of Game Time Adjustments. My childhood was uh, a primary uh, driver of what happened later in my life. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I grew up in a, a low-income, high-crime neighborhood, and uh, uh, both my parents were alcoholics, and they lived in bars and taverns. And uh, and for a social worker would probably describe me as neglected, in the sense I was just basically left alone my entire uh, childhood. And then on top of that, uh, my father was in prison twice. And, um, and be, but because of that, I, I mean, I'm, I can still remember sitting in my basement at the age of 12 and deciding I am not gonna be like my parents. And I didn't want another child to have the childhood I, I had. But you know, that's an emotional thing. And, uh, but I carried it around uh, for later and, uh, you know, if I just share one, one of, I've had a, a number of traumatic experiences as a child, but the most for me is, is I'm about four years old and I wake up and it's midnight and I wander into my parents' room and nobody's there. And I wander through the house and nobody's there. And uh, uh, so I, I go get my pants, put them on the inside out, head out the door, start wandering down the street and a bakery workers out there taking a break, smoking a cigarette and says, hey, where are you going, kid? And I say, I'm looking for my parents. Of course, he calls the police. The police come who knew my parents and uh, actually knew the bar, one of the bars that they go to. And we went down and got my parents, but they were so drunk, they were hardly uh, even aware what's going on. And But we all went home and that's just always stayed in my mind forever. And, you know, would never want another child to have not only that a particular experience, but just the neglect that a lot of the children we serve today uh, suffer. Like who you are today was certainly formed or in, impacted significantly by the by those events. But the crazy cool thing about it is, look look at who you are and who you've become, and your starting did not need to dictate, you know. The trajectory. So, how did um, people come into your life? Talk about your some of your coaches, 
some of your teachers um, that began to backfill and set a different course or really begin to open your eyes to the potential for who you are and what you could become versus where you started in your upbringing that you described? Well, in one way, I was very fortunate that, um, while I always would hope that I'd have a mentor, I never really had one. But during the course of my childhood, you know, I still there was a fifth grade teacher, Mr. Brown, who happened to be the first African American teacher in Portland. And uh, he just saw something in me and encouraged me, kind of knowing my circumstances. And then later on, I had a seventh grade basketball coach who, who understood my family's background. And, and he also, but he became a semi mentor, but it was only within the context of playing uh, softball. And then later on, a football coach uh, came alongside of me, kind of saw this punk in me and encouraged me. And uh, uh, but then uh, the kind of a turning point for me in my life was my senior year in high school where we had to go see a high school uh, a counselor. And he said to me, Duncan, you can be more than what most people think you're gonna be. And, and that just settled in. I mean, that was a gift from God. And, and, uh, and that became a real catalyst because I, I, I actually did have, I was spirited, even though most of my younger childhood, a little older, you know, I consider myself kind of white trash and, and you know, nobody came, I didn't want anybody in my house because my parents were usually drunk and smelled of cigarette smoke. And, and I, you know, I, I was always over at my friend's house. But there were moments uh, beyond that where uh, people did uh, get, a, get a spark in me and light it and keep it going. What did, like, uh, talk a little bit more about that. Like, because like today, like when I leave my house, I think, um, I want to be that kind of a person. And that's what you've obviously dedicated your life to, Duncan. So talk about that interaction with the counselor. What, what about him? Like, how would you describe him that he was able to, like, get past himself and invest in you in that significant way that, you know, 50 years later is still being uh, expressed in this conversation. So talk a little bit about that and then talk about what it did to you from the inside out in terms of your perspective change that really became fuel to go on and do the incredible things that God had for you in the future. You know, what it was is um, it, it, it lit up something inside of me and, and I could, it was kind of there, but I kind of knew it, but you know, it was never affirmed in that way. Mm -hmm. And so even though I kind of, even when I was younger, I always, I didn't have the skill or the knowledge, but I always want to be first in line, first to do this, you know, and, and, um, and but that just kind of motivated me to, to go on and do more. I mean, so who would have thought I'd ever go on to college, let alone go yes. on to law school. So it, it, became, it did, it was a real genuine spark. And, but what it did is, and it's part of a program we found, and we'll talk about later, Friends and Children. Mm -hmm. We try to change the path of children like like, my, like me, their life, and we instill hope in them. I mean, most of these children and uh, youth don't think anybody lo cares for them, let alone loves them. 
and that's who I was. And uh, the, the, these people touched me and cared, and uh, and I and I became motivated. And as you know, motivation, high motivation, is a real is the foundation of later success. And uh, and then it created in me a tenacity, which I kind of even had late in high school. I was a, a linebacker on the football team and loved to tackle, but you know that's a lot of pent up emotion and. Uh, but uh, it, it drove me and motivated me. And, and, it, and one of the principles we'll probably talk about is uh, uh, camels don't quit. And, uh, and even through every hardship, that, hmm. not only during those early years, but even uh, through high school and college, you know, I just uh, was tenacious and dog with a rag. And the same in uh, building my business, uh, Campbell Global, and later the Friends of the Children program. We'll be back with today's guest right after this. We appreciate our sponsors, Brennan, Martin, Pugh, and Associates, offering next-generation consulting services. Also, EDR Marketing, providing corporate hospitality and event marketing solutions. Their impact provides resources that bring both purpose and meaning for our listening audience. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please be sure to contact us at GameTimeAdjustments.com. Now back with today's conversation. With you and that counselor, um, he didn't, he probably never knew in that moment the significance of what he was doing, lighting that fire as you describe it. But man, he was, setting you on a trajectory or he was fueling you to become really the Duncan Campbell that you've become over the years. I, I just love that, that uh, story. And obviously now you're replicating it thousands and thousands of times over, which is pretty amazing. So you, you, you graduate from high school and then you get your law degree, you get your finance, you, you, you get your, you sit for a CPA, uh, you work at Arthur Anderson. Talk a little bit about those years. I mean, you describe perseverance, but man, how, how on earth did you go from talking to the counselor to those two incredible accomplishments? Uh, once again, it was that underlying, I think, uh, tenacity. And, uh, and but I, uh, it, we'll talk about it in turn later on in one of your questions, but I'm always thinking uh, and, and planning and I have ideas and I'm thinking through something, I'm analyzing it, the pros and cons, I'm discarding it. And, and that was, that's a gift. I mean, you, you know, I, I, later on in life, I build upon it, enhanced it, refined it, but to be able to have that, you know, not all people have that degree of motivation. And one of the things growing up, in the conditions I did, it creates a motivation for a different type of life. 85% of all children replicate the behavior of their parents. I mean, like a number of the children we serve and friends are intergenerational criminal families. It's a great story another time where the grandfather was a criminal, the dad was a criminal, and our youth was expected to be a criminal. And some, somehow, some way through this relationship, we break that cycle of intergenerational criminal behavior, let alone poverty. 
Yeah, I, I, um, I love, I love Duncan that you are, you know, um, changing the trajectory. You personally are a embodiment of it, and then what you're doing with Friends of the Children really is breaking those generational cycles, obviously, for the good. And I also like kind of what you're talking about in terms of perseverance. And I always say to my kids, um, everybody has the gift of perseverance. Few people use it. And your life is certainly a reflection um, of that. So, so you, go, you go into the professional world, and it sounds like that was less than satisfying in terms of what you ultimately wanted to do. And then you kind of, as you said, you think and tinker and, and, and uh, explore. And so talk about how you got into the timber business and how you meshed all those worlds today uh, together, you know, creating uh, Campbell Global. Talk a little bit about those years. Okay. Uh, as an intro to that, uh, as I transitioned, uh, you know, when I grew up, I, I wanted to be somebody. And, uh, you know, I was either going to be a doctor or lawyer or rich or, I mean, I was so, I was street smart, but I was so naive. So, but then I followed that path to become a lawyer. And uh, I hated law school. I quit three times. Once again, Campbellsville quit. I came back, finished, uh, became a lawyer and, and did that work. But what I really was, as I did self-discovery, I was, I was meant to be an entrepreneur. And uh, that's who I was. And, and I was thinking through. So. And in the years that I was Arthur Anderson, I tried to think of things. So I, was, I came, I have this uh, analysis process I, I do. I don't know if we'll have time to get into it, but I, I did this analysis. And at the end, the options I came up with were to start a pizza chip partner, but then I was going to franchise it, or I was going to be executive director of a, a nonprofit with children, or I was going to start a timber investment firm. And when I did all the pros and cons, it was decided to start a timber investment firm. Well, there never there weren't any timber investment firms. So I was creating something uh, because basically beyond this conversation, but just basically there, there needed to be, uh, uh, timber companies didn't need to own the timber. They just wanted the logs over time. And, and then pe like people, one of my best friends told me, you're gonna do what? I mean, nobody's going to give you any money to invest in timber. And if they did, you can't buy any timbers because all the forest products companies are buying every acre they could. Make a long story short, he was wrong. And, uh, and uh, so I started that business. But, you know, we didn't make any money for five, seven years. And uh, the, the, that back then I got a loan from the bank. And uh, that was what the last, uh, what I would probably call character loan, like uh, right. Christmas movie and I had no credit, no collateral and uh, but uh, but I believed in what I was doing and uh, so I went out and then my uh, originally I started with individuals but eventually our clients were mainly uh, large uh, pension funds and endowments and I hit the road. Uh, you know we were based in Portland, Oregon. I went to Seattle, San Francisco, LA, New York, Chicago, Washington DC eventually went to Europe. You know, and, and there was no, 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 we don't do uh, timber. And then I got a yes. I'm, you know, in life, you're looking for the yeses, especially if you're a salesperson. Like a good friend of mine said, Duncan, even with all your education, and everything, we're, in the end, we're all salesmen. And, 
And then, and, oh, by the way, when I was a child, I went out and uh, sold uh, uh, flower seed and vegetable seed door to door, TV guys door to door. I sold newspapers and all the modal, you know, as opposed to sitting around with nothing. And uh, so, but uh, that's how I, and, but then I, I started the timber investment firm. And uh, finally, we kind of turned a corner and started earning money, which my wife was thrilled about. And, uh, and then built it because we created something that there was, a, you know, there was a real need in the market. And now there's a half a dozen plus uh, firms like the Campbell Group. And so at the, at the peak of that, uh, Duncan, I'm sure uh, Cindy, uh, what, was her, what was her role, obviously, in terms of, you know, support of you, et cetera. Um, but she must have been pleased at the peak uh, at the peak of that, and so I'm I'm assuming in the early '90s. Then that's kind of when you decided it was time to um, to move on to other other projects. Um, but talk about how you came to those conclusions and and that transition from you know running this wonderful uh, company that you've described that you basically created and birthed and and uh, and launched and then grew it into this uh, global venture. Uh, well, Cindy's a spirited person herself. She's not as big a risk taker as I am, but she was with me. And uh, in, and in the end, we, we didn't have any revenue, but we had a lot of expenses. Then she was a part-time CFO, and we had young children. But she's always been supportive and. She'll grab me by the neck and remind me, you know, not to buy it, not to spend, to do this. But uh, she's just been alongside of me the whole way, not only in Campbell Global, but then later on, friends and the children. She's very active uh, with a, a number of people. She's got a whole team of volunteers she's put together on the fundraising side. And, but uh, uh, she challenges me from time to time, but uh, she's uh, with me. And, and now she, she's, you know, we're both very blessed and fortunate to, to uh, have some of the material things that uh, not only the God has provided us with, but we've worked hard to earn. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. So, so you you basically uh, sell the the uh, the business. Is that correct? That's right. And then you transition a few years later to uh, talk about how it all came together. Um, you've alluded to your obviously founding role with Friends of the Children and obviously your background in growing up, it all makes perfect sense. Uh, but just talk about maybe some of those decisions to let go of this incredible thing that really was your uh, inspiration, your, your um, you were the author of it, and now you're transitioning to running, starting and running a nonprofit to, to mentor the Duncans of the world that are coming up and really do need that spark and hope. Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to, to grow the business, and then when I sold it, it was for the first time in my life I had any real money. I mean, we had a, a nice upper middle class life before that, and uh, but I carried around this idea uh, for years because I'd worked at the juvenile court, uh, both full-time for two years in the middle of um, law school 
and then I worked part-time even through law school. And that's where I came up with the idea of Friends of the Children. But, you know, I didn't have any resources or anything. And then but when I was fortunate enough to grow the business, sell it, sell it, I went out and hired a friend of mine who was a PhD child psychologist. And uh, he created called the Children's Institute. And, uh, but he did initial research because one thing to have an idea and it's another thing to think it's gonna work, but I, I wanted to see what the research said. Mm. And there was a variety of research that supported the idea of starting with these most at-risk children at an early age and staying with them for a long period and instilling values in them that break the cycle of both poverty, but criminal and other activity. And so based on that, I, I put in a, a, a large sum of money and went out and hired three friends in my old neighborhood. The, 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 the friends are paid mentors and it's a calling and a profession. Mm-hmm. I grew up in North Portland and we went to Boyce Vernon and Martin Luther King School, picked 24 children, hired three friends, and uh, we we're off and running. I want you to talk about this because I think this like captures your heart and then the incredible work and impact that Friends of the Children have and are having. So you're in a board meeting and you're bringing back one of the kids who's now gone on to graduate from college and he is coming back to be one of the friends. So talk about that legacy cycle that you've now seen go full circle and kind of what that means and how that even captures your heart today. Well, it was one of the most poignant, touching moments actually in the history of Friends uh, to have uh, one of our youth actually, we're thrilled that they graduate from high school, by the way, when you pick them, and uh, to graduate from college. And she actually went to work at the college for two or three years. And then she calls us and, and wants to become a friend and she's been a friend now for six, seven years, got a young family. And, but the moment that she, she decided, I mean, and we shared it with our board, for example, everybody's bawling, I'm, I'm gonna get choked up now. I mean, everybody's smiling, but bawling like babies. Cause uh, you know, it was a dream come true. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. And uh, so, if you had to, I'm, I'm assuming it's more of the same, but uh, if you had to say what fuels you today, uh, Duncan, like to get out of bed and go about the business of what you have, like what what drives Duncan Campbell today? Um, well, in the sense of the world, uh, you know, like theoretically I retired uh, 10 years ago, but I, I still kind of go seven to seven every day, but it's 50% friends of the children and um, 50% fun. Uh, so so I, it's a balance and, and, and I actually thrive on that. Uh, like being an entrepreneur, I loved it. Being a social entrepreneur was 10 times even more fulfilling. But, um, you know, just called to care about these children. I mean, uh, even the original premise of friends was if Christ was here today, he would love the children the way the friends did. Talk a little bit about how Duncan Campbell's faith kind of informs who you are, um, obviously, as a husband, as a dad, 
um, as a, a, a community uh, leader, influencer, and uh, you know somebody that's had incredible impact. Talk about how your faith informs all those things. Uh, it's everything. It's just simply everything. Uh, I was, you know, I, I'm always reflecting and challenging myself. But you know, even recently, in recent months, I said, um, I'm a servant of God. And Jesus is beside me, and the Holy Spirit's within me. Hmm. But if I had a mission statement, even, even though, but it, that's been my whole life since I came, because I was an atheist for a number of years, and then an agnostic, which is another story. But uh, and and I've been a person of faith for a, uh, a number of decades. But even you know, I still rekindle. Uh, it's important. I'm in a uh, a weekly group and have been with men other men in Christ and, and where we share our lives are. But we don't talk sports or politics. We talk about how each of us are doing with our wives, our children, and our relationship with God. It's awesome. Very, very cool. Um, I, uh, I've had a chance to interact with some uh, pretty cool uh, folks over the years, as I know you have. And a few years ago, I believe you got a phone call from arguably the uh, greatest player in basketball history. Talk about that conversation with Michael Jordan and his interest in investment in Friends of the Children. Well, if, if you, whether you believe in miracles or not, th this story is a true miracle. So for example, I spent half my time, uh, you know, in the last decade going around the country speaking with uh, major foundations, potential donors, of catalytic people to start new chapters. Mm -hmm. And one day we get a call from a, a consultant and the national director took it and uh, uh, he thought it was a con man. Said, oh, I, I represent a, a philanthropist interested in your organization and um, can you share some information? And so, but she had the poise, stayed on the phone for an hour and answered his questions and um, and normally in a situation like that, we, we have all kinds of data and information. We send it out and we answer questions and uh, don't hear a word for three months. And we get a call, consultant calls back and, and tells this person, I didn't get the call, says, um, uh, our client who is Michael Jordan has decided to give you a multi-million uh, dollar gift over the next three years. And then that's your first gift. And it was just unbelievable. And uh, I mean, that was a miracle. I mean, that literally was a miracle. I mean, we dream, we, we brain, I mean, I'm friends is uh, over 25 years old. We're brainstorming all the time who, you know, we've met a number of people over time and a number of you know, well-known people, but nothing of that magnitude has ever happened. And it, you're right. It's like you can do everything right, uh, but unless kind of God shows up and provides favor and open doorways and pathways, um, not, nothing really good happens. So good for you for doing both and then being on the receiving end of such a marvelous gift and miracle. So if people listening, Duncan, want to find out more about Friends of the Children, uh, or would like to make a donation, what's the best way for folks to do that? 
the easiest is obviously go online, friendswithchildren.org. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. And it's like, um, when you think about the, the, um, the tapestry of your life from your four-year-old ex- uh, story to now the man that you've grown to become and then all of the things that are the connectivity, um, it's pretty amazing how you know, you've, you've gotten to participate and be a part of all those um, incredible things. So if you had a, a word or two of kind of wisdom that you'd like to pass on um, to our audience, kind of in parting, what, what would those one or two things be? The, the first one is to be sure to tell each other you love them. And sincerely, not, not a, you know, where you say, oh, I love you, you know, or something, but genuinely at the appropriate time, you know, remind each other that you love each other. Right. That's the most important thing actually in life. And if I, I threw another one in, uh, it, it, we hit on it earlier, uh, Campbell's don't quit. You know, most entrepreneurs run into challenges and the first challenge they fail, second challenge, and you just gotta, and my tip is, is always be thinking ahead and having options, kind of know where you're going, because you know it's a challenge. Be, being an entrepreneur and social entrepreneur are very difficult and challenging times, and you got to be ready for it. But you know, when you run into a bump, you know, think, okay, what do I do? I'm, I call it dancing, but I've always got two or three options, whereas most most people just throw up their hands and so oh, that's it. I'm I'm done. Um, but you got to have some uh, Campbell's don't quit. <laughs> And, and on the other hand, you, you need to know when to quit. That's another conversation. And uh, my last one would be uh, 10 minutes early is on time. Thank you again for listening. If you missed the podcast, don't worry. We have show notes, links, and resources available at GameTimeAdjustments.com. Until next time, remember that no matter the challenges you face in life, with the proper timely adjustment, you can not only redefine success, but you can ultimately win all throughout life. Our host for this podcast is Bill Pugh. Our producer is Matt Dunn. Our associate producer is Ashley Russell. And I'm your co-host, James Harrelson. On behalf of all of us here at Game Time Adjustments, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back again with you very soon. 